I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So we're very excited, uh, as I'm sure you are as well. We're about 10 days, a maximum of 10 days away from the Supreme Court ruling in the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin case. And this is a case that I've waited basically 40 years to finally have the court decide on constitutionality of these restrictive carry permits, such as New York, New Jersey, etc. And even more, now the expansion of the Second Amendment to what we all know uh, applies to outside the home, this false, phony distinction that the antis have made. So it's very exciting. But you know, I was thinking about this. And I've seen all kinds of commentary. I've seen all kinds of speculation, which is all fun. Uh, which way could, you know, uh, in terms of uh, depending what the opinion says and impact. And I've had media contact me, newspapers, what's the impact uh, of this case. And I've seen all kinds of that. And, it, and it's very interesting and very exciting. And we won't know until we get the opinion. All that's true. But here's something that I was thinking about. And I don't think anybody else has even talked about this. And that is, what if the decision doesn't go our way? Now, I want to say that I am very confident that it will go our way. I honestly believe in my uh, gut that this is going to be a success. This case is going to be a win. And it's hard to imagine the court, as it's made up now, not going our way. But it's not outside the realm of possibilities. And what has me concerned is what's been going on now that we've really never seen the likes of before. And I'm talking about threats, actual threat to kill the justices, the, the fellow they caught who was literally went to Kavanaugh's, Justice Kavanaugh's house to murder him and or his family. And the protesters that are protesting at judges' homes in absolute violation of the federal law, and yet the Attorney General of the United States is not enforcing that law specifically on point saying that protesting at judges' homes is not allowed. Do you see enforcement? No, not at all. And then you see politicians like Schumer egging these people on to uh, be inspired to actions that would be violations of the law and endanger the justices and is encouraging these things uh, by way of his speeches that he gives. And you see them delaying the bill to protect judges and provide security. I mean, they finally got that passed, but look at all the delay. Uh, they're, they're not eager to protect these judges. They're stirring the pot and getting people um, worked up, including the crazies on the left, uh, 
particularly, to become violent. There's talking heads talking about how uh, the court's decisions are going to cause civil war and basically gearing up the folks for violence, for violence that the left always loves, violence that they tolerate and cheer, because they're the ones that do. Not the right, it's the left that does it. Then they find anything on the right they could possibly make an accusation about and then and then just point at that when they themselves are unbelievably being a participant in this violence and threats. Then you see the political threats as well to to pack the court, to change the entire makeup and demeanor of the Supreme Court. The packing where they would raise the number of judges arguably from nine to where it is, you know, 16 judges, so that uh, the uh, senile mannequin, you know, the blamer-in-chief would then be able to appoint these new justices to completely turn the court around. So we have all these threats out there designed to intimidate and get these justices scared to do their job honestly, openly, properly, and without fear or favor. And it's the opposite. And so let's look at the makeup of the court. If we look at the makeup, we have three judges that are essentially, we'll just call them left or anti-gun, and we don't expect them to vote uh, in favor of Second Amendment rights, even though it's so obvious that it should be in something that they would fight to protect and preserve the Constitution. But, you know, politics and what have you, this is their side of it. All right, so we know we got three. Then we have Judge uh, Roberts, even though appointed by a uh, Republican, and he's squishy. He's just squishy unreliable. This is why it wasn't until President Trump was able to get three solid conservative judges on the court that we were able to get a solid five-judge majority to even agree to hear the very issues that we're concerned with. So figuring Roberts is not very reliable and we have the three lefties, all it will take is one of the five to buckle. One of the five to fear all of this threat that is out there, political, physical, you know, to not want to end up like uh, Justice Scalia, right? They, 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 uh, I'm sure they have their concerns. And um, this is out there as a factor. And what if that happens and five judges, because that's all it takes, go against us instead of the five that we're banking on being with us? We'll then have the court upholding this absolute infringement of our true Second Amendment right 
it'll stop its extension to possession outside the home. It'll allow these licenses like New Jersey and, and, and New York and others that have this arbitrary, completely subjective, impossible-to-reach standard that denies your average law-abiding citizen from being able to defend themselves so that they don't have to be victims, but rather defenders. And you'll see an explosion of encouragement to the anti-gunners to pass more laws and become more restrictive. Now, granted, we already have half of the country, 25 states and I think about 60-plus percent of the actual landmass of the United States is constitutional carry by state law. So you can carry without any permit or license, carry concealed and loaded and protect yourself. And here we are fighting in these rotten states to even to be able to get a, a bona fide shall issue permit to be able to do what in half of America you don't even need a permission slip from the government to do. But if this case were to go against us, these things could become in jeopardy because it could even mean that a federal law could arguably be passed restricting even constitutional carry in the states. It could mean that other states would impose more restrictive measures than they already have. The hesitation that exists at all over any concern of Second Amendment violation would be removed. And the antis would become empowered. And they will think that, wow, the court shot this one down. We can get away with anything we want, basically, short of possession in one's home under Heller. That's the, the bright line. And you'll see more and more gun laws. You'll see more encouraged laws to violate what we know to be our Second Amendment rights. The whole thing could be a dramatic backfire and a, and a horrible thing if the court doesn't go our way. So let me put it this way. We have, we have put it all on the line, man. We, went, we have gone all in on this bet. Now, I think it's a wise bet. Like I said, I believe it is going to be a success. I would make this bet. Absolutely, I'd make it. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't recognize the downside. And if that downside hits, if we lose the bet, if the antis are successful in their outrageous intimidation tactics and we see a buckling, it's going to be a nightmare. And keep in mind, this game has been played before, not so much with the violence and threats, but with the political threat. You know, Back under Franklin Roosevelt, when he was uh, pushing his whole New Deal, all his what they called the alphabet soup of, uh, of programs, you know, the CCC and uh, the TBA and all this stuff, to try to pump prime the economy and was doing all kinds of things. Well, the Supreme Court at the time was nullifying, you know, the National Recovery Act and other things and nullifying these things. And, and it was um, very troubling to FDR that his pet little programs were being eviscerated as unconstitutional. So 
he put out and proposed to have the court packed to 16, just like they've threatened to do now. And that threat was out there, and he controlled enough of the Congress and Senate to actually make it happen. But there was a major outcry of not to do it. And there was a major push and all. But what happened was, the reason it didn't happen really was because one of the judges, because it was five, four majorities that were burning Roosevelt's programs as unconstitutional, one of the judges switched and joined with the other side. And his program started to be upheld as constitutional because of the one judge switching. And that historically has is known as the switch in time that saved nine. That's actually what it's called. And that switch in time saved nine, meaning saved the court to be nine judges. Now you bring yourself right up to modern day today, and you see that same game being played, only being played harder and more ruthlessly with a threat of physical violence being woven into their pressure game. And that's why this is not outside the realm of possibility. Let's hope when this decision comes down, it's as great and glorious as I expect it to be. It'll happen most likely on the 27th at the latest, that Monday, although it could happen tomorrow, Monday, the 20th. That's usually when they release opinions. Now, they started to release opinions on Wednesday as well. It could happen at a Wednesday in between. But the absolute latest would be June 30th, the end of the session, the very last day. So by June 30th, we'll know. We'll have our answer. And I'm hopeful that it will be a great decision and the one that, we are, that we, we've bet on getting. We put our entire pot down to bet on this being what we are eagerly anticipating. And when that happens, and it's as good as I hope it to be, and not this bleak possibility that I've outlined for you today, we can have one hell of a great 4th of July celebration, my friends. One hell of a great celebration. So when I come back, I have some excellent letters from listeners. See you in a bit. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. 
Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I really love my listeners, and I'm so happy that you folks are dedicated listeners because this is a chance for me to tell you things that you don't hear in other places, to be able to express these opinions. And otherwise, unfortunately, in the times that we live, they're trying to silence us and stop these words from reaching your ears so that you can think about what I say. And if you agree with it, great. And if you have your own concerns or challenges, fine. You used to be this thing in America of discourse where you could actually have ideas and not be shut down but uh, luckily, this podcast helps to still fight for that. That's what we believe in. So tell your friends to listen to, to Gun Lawyer. And I really appreciate getting uh, the feedback. And I've gotten some interesting letters here that I want to share with you uh, that uh, uh, some fans have sent in. And here's one. This is from James. James said, addressed it, gun lawyer. I think that's pretty good. Gun lawyer. Preamble to the Bill of Rights. On the government website, and then he gives a website for the Constitution, the preamble to the Bill of Rights is missing. Now, let me just say that's very interesting because there is a preamble to the Constitution that's there, but this, he's talking about the preamble to the Bill of Rights. He said, but the National Archives has it, and he gives the website. You can Google for the National Archives, and you can find the uh, preamble to the Bill of Rights in the National Archives. But he quotes it here in the letter, and it's very interesting. Here's the preamble of the uh, Bill of Rights. It says, the conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers and further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure beneficent ends of its institution. That's a preamble to the Bill of Rights. Isn't that interesting? And uh, James goes on to say, what bearing does this have in your gun cases? He says, this to me, it only took me 40 years to understand it, seems to be the most important part of the Constitution. It spells out why we have a Constitution, and those words, misconstruction, abuse, declaratory, and restrictive, should have great weight in future amendments being proposed and more important rescinding those amendments that take power and freedom from the people big fan jimmy well jimmy i thank you for your letter and it's interesting uh to highlight the preamble of the bill of rights and the bill of rights is a listing of the as we discussed in pre prior shows a guarantee by the government 
of rights that in effect were pre-existing rights. So the government doesn't give us rights, but the idea is to protect our rights. And what this preamble expresses is that guarantee in language of the day. To prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers. Boy, have we seen any misconstruction or abuse of the government's powers? Hmm. Seems to never end, right? So the Bill of Rights is a beautiful document, but without it getting enforced, without teeth being put in it, without a court where its judgments find in favor of the guarantee and then enforce it, the government will get away with anything that it can. And these declaratory and restrictive clauses are the rights themselves. They declare the rights and restrict the government from violating them. And that's the idea. That's the idea of a guarantee to do that very thing. And that's why when we argue that a law is unconstitutional, we even as lawyers or even in our discussions or even when you and I talk about it, we're talking about alleging that the government has violated its sacred guarantee to us of these rights that it agreed were to be guaranteed. And when that guarantee is not followed, then we have a unconstitutional law which is void as in violation of the declaratory and restrictions that were placed on the government in order for the actual constitution itself to be ratified. Remember, the ratification of our Constitution had an agreement that there would be this Bill of Rights put together by Madison later. And that's what he did. And it was understood that it was only being agreed upon if our rights were put out in a Bill of Rights, stated. And at the time, you know, some of our founding fathers were actually against a Bill of Rights. Now you might say, well, why would they be against a Bill of Rights? It seems like it's something we'd all want. Well, they, first of all, believed that the rights are our rights, and we don't need a statement saying that it's guaranteed because they damn well better be guaranteed. That's, and if not, we'll have another revolution. That was their view. But also they were afraid that if we made a list of rights that were guaranteed, There'd be an argument that, well, these are your only rights, and if it's not on the list, well, too bad. And therefore, they did put a one of the amendments in that essentially says, just because we didn't put it on the list here doesn't mean you don't still have it as a guaranteed right. So there were concerns. But ultimately, of course, it has become critical, vital, to our freedom and liberty, and we depend every day on the Bill of Rights and what it says, because without it, the government would have long ago taken our rights 
away and not enforced our rights against themselves, they would have said, hey, you never got a guarantee, so too bad. And we'll do whatever the hell we want to. So luckily, even though they still have that attitude on a lot of things, we have the guarantee to come back at them with. So we need to thank the Founding Fathers for their foresight in having such a Bill of Rights there to protect us. And we're going to see this Bill of Rights come alive. I'm so hopeful we're going to see it in action becoming a reality and empowering gun owners throughout America to be able to protect themselves and carry a firearm and no longer be turned into victims by the government, but rather defenders. And we're finally going to see that. And when that magical moment happens, when you hear that decision that I believe will be in our favor, and when you hear about that, give thanks to the foresight of our founding fathers and what they did so that this moment could come where we could correct the abuses, the abuses that these governments have placed upon us in these states and finally see the redress. Oh, yeah, it took a long time. Stuff moves slow, I get it. But think back to the blessing of the country we live in where we at least were able to finally get the enforcement and get the change. You know, that's not going to happen in too many other countries with any any ability, but that guarantee that our founding fathers put there for us is going to pay off. You know, it's like when you get that extended warranty, <laughs> and man, when they pay for that old transmission that would have cost you, you know, good grief. Well, this is it, man. It's going to pay off. We're going to see it. So I appreciate that letter and good stuff to think about. Now, I got another letter here. This one's from Bill. It says, regarding red flag laws. Evan, do you expect a court to take up red flag case law and find it unconstitutional? P.S., your podcasts are great. I wish we could clone you so we could have an Evan Knappen in every state. Well, an Evan Knappen in every state would be very interesting. At least I'd be able to have uh, a, a, a network of... Uh, like-minded people that would always be in agreement with me on every single thing. But anyway, the uh, thing from Bill there is uh, really uh, true, and there is challenges ongoing as we speak, uh, progressing on challenging red flag, because the number one problem with red flag, which are laws that uh, simply based on a claim by one person your firearms are seized. We've discussed this in podcasts. You know, New Jersey has so-called model legislation, according to uh, uh, the blamer-in-chief. You know, we have this uh, model legislation, which is void of due process. No due process. Someone makes a claim to the police. 
you have no say. You don't even know what's taking place. The court issues the order. You have to surrender your guns. Your licenses are revoked. You're prohibited from gun possession. A warrant issues with it so that your privacy is invaded. And you're essentially raped by the government as your house and belongings are searched for these guns. And you've had no say, no nothing. And then eventually down the road, you'll have a hearing, you see. So the due process element, I believe, is quite vulnerable here to constitutional attack. And things are progressing on that. So much so that the Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision in the Coniglia case, said that seizing guns for community caretaking is unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment. And that was a unanimous decision. That's every judge saying it's no good. So how do they get away with these red flag laws where they're doing that very thing? They are unconstitutional. And challenges are moving ahead. And I believe particularly that the law is structured in such a way where the due process doesn't even exist up front. I will find it hard to believe that those will survive constitutionally challenged uh, when the court finally can opine on these things. And if you combine it with not only Fourth Amendment arguments, but Second Amendment arguments that will be enhanced, I'm sure, and confident by the court's upcoming decision where they're going to discuss the Second Amendment and what it means. You know, this is the most significant Second Amendment decision since the Heller decision. You know, this is a, the, the big one. So all that's going to come into play, and the answer to Bill is yes. The constitutionality of these red flag laws is absolutely an issue, and an issue that is going to have to be uh, fought as it currently is, and hopefully these laws will be uh, found to be as unconstitutional as you and I know they are. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest Citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.